You are listening to a renowned safety expert, Dr. J. Allen, Dr. J. Allen. on Safety FM. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Safety Focus Moment. They're consultants that want to help you get the safety culture you've been looking for. For more information, go to safetyfocusmoment.com. Hello and Happy New Year and welcome to Safety FM. We are coming to you from the Safety FM studios. Yep, you heard me correct. That's Safety FM studios. Happy 2019. If you are actually on the West Coast, we are dropping right now at the crack of midnight. So hopefully you were able to stay and remain safe during the New Year celebration. But today, 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 it's a new day. It's a new year. So we're going to go ahead and proceed forward with our first interview of the year with Dr. Todd Lusheen. He is the Associate Professor and Coordinator of Fieldwork and Internships at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. During today's episode, Dr. Lusheen and myself cover a whole plethora of information about safety and where his future plans will take him in this field. Enjoy the episode here today on Safety FM. You are listening to a renowned safety expert, Dr. Jay Allen on Safety FM. Changing safety cultures, one broadcast and one podcast at a time. Join the fun on social media and find us on Facebook at Safety FM. Anyway, so let's talk about you. How did you get involved with the whole with this whole mess of safety? What did you how did you decide that this was the career path that you wanted to do? What what was the thing that you said, this is the thing for me and this is what I'm gonna move on with? Well, it, it, I mean, it, it's interesting, the whole idea of the accidental safety professional or the incidental. Um, that's how I got into it. Uh, when I was in undergrad, University of Minnesota, I was pursuing a degree in chemical engineering, simply because um, if you boil me down to my essence, I just like to... I just like to know how things work. And mm-hmm. so chemical engineering gave me that, that experience and that knowledge. Uh, I realized, I think during my junior year, there was one lecture where the professor talked about uh, disasters like the Texas City, Texas disaster. And actually it was at that very moment I said, I don't want to go into chemical engineering. I would be blowing things up. So I pursued environmental engineering as, a, as an emphasis. That's something we had to choose. So I was preparing myself for a career working for the EPA. I wanted to be doing the stack emissions, the uh, wastewater uh, uh, hazardous spill. That's what I wanted to do for a career. So when I graduated, I got on the state list, which is, you know, chemical engineers. You, you just fill out the application. And I just was staring at the phone, uh, waiting for to, to ring to go interview with the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency. Well, lo and behold, OSHA takes uh, takes uh, uh, interviewees from that same list. And so they called first and I said, sure, I'll come in. You know, I'm staring at a phone and interviewed. And I'm like, wow, they were uh, hiring for industrial hygiene engineers. So they're going to train me to do industrial hygiene work, which was very natural transition, if you ask me, uh, from chemical engineering. And they said they give me a badge and I could make people, I could stare at them and make them cry. Um, and so, yeah, they, they offered the job and I took it. And it was really interesting that I loved it. I really got into it. I look forward to going to work. I love going out and doing the inspections. 
Um, the, the report writing, yeah, that, that's that's the, 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 the dark side of it, if you will, with the penalties and all that stuff. But that's not what I focused on. I was going out and developing relationships with people. And I loved it, so I started going out with the safety folks and learning the safety side of things and the construction safety. So it was... Um, it was an experience and I had great mentors, although I didn't know it at the time. Um, uh, the late Daryl Anderson, he was the head of Minnesota OSHA. He was amazing to me. He guided me without me like feeling his hand on my back. And Alden Hoffman was a great supervisor and Terry Osterbauer. These guys are all retired or, or have gone on, but all three of them were very influential in my development and then my eventual trajectory to where I am now. So as you start getting involved in safety, how do you go from, let's say, practitioner to all of a sudden you decide that you want to teach this to other people? <laughs> well, um, if I was to go back to its very beginning, that would be um, going to the Minnesota Safety Council. They had Scott Geller, Dr. Scott Geller, come in and he did keynotes and, and, and special presentations. And I, wow, I was starry-eyed. I was like, this, I would love to be able to teach others and go to conferences and present but i see that that is a long path to take um so i took my time and eventually you know what really did it is i don't know if you've ever heard of dan miller he's out of um i think he's out of oregon i, I forget but he came in and did some consulting work um for the meatpacking industry in minnesota and i was really excited with what he was doing he had his doctorate something along the lines he was a student of deming and I, I just thought, this is amazing. This is, this, this is kind of felt like what I had been missing. And so it was based on, you know, uh, meeting Scott, hearing Scott, and then actually talking with, I'm sorry, did I say Tom Miller? I meant to say Dan Miller. Oh, you slapped me. It's okay. um, but you can check out Dan Miller and ourselves. He's amazing. But um, Dan, I spoke to Dan. I actually got to give him a ride to the airport. And it was by the time we got to the airport that I decided I'm going to apply to graduate school. And lo and behold, I got connected with Mike Smith at, uh, at Madison. And even though people may go, Who, who's this Mike Smith? Dr. Michael J. Smith, his name is on some of the seminal works in safety. I mean, he's the one who published those reports with Cohen Cohen in Cleveland. Um, he's the one who did the audit effectiveness report of 1971. This guy's got his name on some of the key um, research literature that is out there that has built the safety profession to what we know it today. Interesting. So that car ride alone changed the trajectory of what your career was going to look like. And what was what was the cause? What was the thing that you said, this is the main reason why I want to change it going forward? <laughs> you know, I thinking back, I can't say it was a conscious thought. It was sort of this this inert drive that I, that that's what looks like something I want to do. I mean, to be honest with you, the graduate degree, I was really pursuing just a master's degree. And then I wanted to be a safety director. That's, that's as far as my, you know, primitive laser or lizard brain wanted to go, but it was, you know, again, the, the mentors that I didn't realize were there. Um, Dr. Smith, he's like, you should get a PhD. And he and the late Dr. Karsh were like, you should be a, a professor. <laughs> And so I just, you know, my simple brain just kind of followed what others were whispering in my ear. And now I am where I am. And still, I, I'm looking for people to tell me where I should go and what I should do. But I think all of them together, um, if, if I really think about it, all of them together have really been a, a support system 
where now I'm, you know, trying to do more. I'm trying to give back to the profession. I'm trying to train the young um, safety students. I'm trying to assist the companies who don't have a full-time safety person, but I'm not trying to go international superstar. Uh, I just want to help however I can. That's, that's basically me in a very small nutshell. So as you look at it and all these people that are coming up that are interested in safety, do you feel that there's a lot of the people that are trying to get into this career path or do you still feel that there's a lot of struggles of trying to get people involved in safety? It's a struggle. Um, you know, there, there's no TV show. Uh, there's no movie that really um, glorifies what we do. Uh, and we, so what we do is, I think you could talk to almost any professor from any uh, safety program from throughout the U.S., we tend to poach from within. So students come in not really sure what they're going to do. They may be interested in science. They may be interested in business. They may be interested in, say, health promotion. Um, and we poach them because there are so many jobs available. They pay very, very well. And if they take like an intro level course, a lot of them go, wow, this is really interesting. Um, to be honest, safety is a very noble uh, profession. You know, we're trying to do really good things um, and we don't always get credit for it, uh, but that's where we get our students from. And I think up till now, we've just been very fortunate with having a steady stream of uh, June, uh, sophomores and juniors to kind of peek around the corner and go, hey, that looks interesting, I'm gonna try it, and then they get hooked. Um, so whether it's word or mouth or poaching from other programs that have difficulty placing students, um, or maybe if the pay isn't as well, that's how it's happening. We get, I think we're up to maybe, maybe 10 students per year who come in just looking for safety. Wow. So how, how, what do you feel exactly then when the people that you probably speak to would turn around and say, well, nowadays you really don't need a degree, quote unquote, as I throw this up in the air, in safety, I can go get a certificate and it'll have the same value. What is your opinion on that? Um, there, you know, I'm not just that you think because I'm a, I'm a professor, I'm gonna say you have to have a degree. Oh, of course, oh, of course not. No, no, no. You see, you're, you're kind of, you're in a, you're in an interesting twist because you're also involved with a pretty big organization that does safety certificates. So you're kind of in the middle in the middle of the, to be able to answer both. So that's why I asked you the question. Now that I'm trying to say, I want you to slam one over the other. I really just want your opinion on what you think about it. I mean, again, I always start, you know, premise things with having to be honest. A lot of what I do, and actually I said this at a meeting just last month, a lot of what I do is I'm just trying to get students to understand and accept and improve their learning approach. And I, you know, I get so many classes with them, they take other classes. All I'm trying to have them do is to be able to be proficient learners on their own. Now, maybe some people don't need that. Maybe they already have this, this, this innate or intrinsic skill to manage and improve their own learning approach. But, you know, I, I've got several engineering degrees. Engineering is engineering. You just have, you just apply it to different natural processes in the, in the, in the world. Safety is safety. It's the technique, not what you really know. It's the technique and then the ability to continuously learn that makes you a successful safety professional. So if you're the type of, type of person who already kind of understands their own learning and, and, and is committed to um, both professional development and continuous improvement, all you need is a certificate. It's just where to access the relationships and basic knowledge so that you can apply it. 
So if you were to look back now, would you change the way that you went about doing safety in regards of getting going all the way up to a doctorate? Would you do a certification or do you think you would have still went down the exact same path that you're down now? I think I would go down the same path um, simply because it's taken me all this time and I'm still I don't I still don't have all the answers. Um, it's it, again, it's about how you approach, how you contextualize things, the, the, the approach you take. I try to be very balanced. I try to be very cautious. Um, and I know that in the past, before I pursued the graduate degrees, you know, to become a scientist, I jumped to conclusions that I used heuristics or rules of thumb in order to practice safety. And I thought I was good at it because it was what OSHA had dictated was correct. And it wasn't until I started listening to employers, listening to employees that I realized there was something missing. I didn't understand something. Um, and that's what, that's another thing that kind of drove me to graduate school was to understand more of the social organizational aspects of safety. Cause up till then I was very much environmental task-based tool-based. So let me ask you that strange question then. And I know that I can ask you this and I know we have several listeners on here. So it's kind of a strange question. Do you ever get to that approach where people come up to you because you have a PhD at the end of your name that all of a sudden they have the assumption that you have all the answers? Yes. Yeah, too much so. Or they think because I have a PhD, I have no practical experience. Um, I, you know, I'm a safety practitioner first and I'm a teacher second. And I think that's advantageous to my students because I'm not teaching them from a book. I actually don't use textbooks. No offense to the people who write textbooks. I use online materials because they're constantly being updated. I use um, journals and other sources, websites that are continually updated. That's what I teach with. So my reading list is constantly um, uh, updating, constantly improving. Um, do I have all the answers? No, I, 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 I'm afraid when somebody takes my advice when I, <laughs> you know, because I, I like to see things all the way through. I got to make sure before I give an answer. I'll, but the thing is, I always answer people honestly. And as Judge Judy says, as long as you're honest, you don't have to have a good memory. <laughs> Well, I think it's funny because there's certain circles that I've ran in and they turn around because of the PhD aspect. They think that you know everything. And I think that that's a pretty big misconception. And then I've been in other circles where they think you know absolutely nothing because you know, well, I mean, from a scientific point of view, not really from a point of view of doing well, what they would deem practical, practical, oh, I can't even talk, practical being out in the field doing it. So I always find it's, it's kind of an interesting mix when I speak to other people that have PhDs on what their answer is. And then I've had some people that I've had on here where they're like, I have a PhD and I can pretty much tell you whatever I want and you just need to agree with it because ever I know how to do research. So it's kind of, a, it's an interesting approach depending on who you speak with. Yeah, I mean, it's because somebody will ask me, what, it, what is it like to pursue a PhD? And um, I'll kind of just go on what I had mentioned before. They teach you the scientific method that, you know, you have to be very, um, systematic and careful and very honest with limitations and kind of explore those limitations. But it's, it's in, in practicing this skill set, this approach uh, to research, like you had said, you just happen to consume almost the entirety of what's been published in that area. But all you're really doing is honing your skills. But in honing those skills, you consume a lot of work. And by making connections to different, you know, uh, uh, knowledge bases or approaches, you you know you you formulate almost a new view of things, which is in agreement with a lot of others. But you consumed it a little bit differently. But it's it's that approach, that discipline, if you will, that uh, I believe makes you 
a little bit smarter than the people who just would have read it and not been um, kind of developing that skill set. So, sure. yeah, I, I, do, I can do research, but um, I, that kind of makes me this, you know, um, pessimistic optimist, no, optimistic pessimist. I question everything um, and it, it takes me a while to get to the answer, whereas others may jump to it too soon, like maybe somebody who's overconfident. Um, and those are the people who I, I fear that at some point um, they're, they're answering outside of context and then um, they're gonna either going to be wrong and, and worst case scenario in our field, somebody's going to get really hurt or killed. Well, I have to tell you, I've ran into the PhD student, PhD person that ends up actually having a PhD, but they do everything really related to confirmation bias because they're looking for this is going to be the answer and this is what my research is going to prove to me before I even start doing the research. And I run into those and I go, how, how do you move on with those? And do you have students that you run into that scenario with or is that not within the field that you're doing currently? Well, I mean, we have got a graduate program and I just... Um, updated and kind of rebuilt our research methods uh, class and what what I'm finding is and I'm actually going to be writing a paper on all this because um, it was so amazing but it's not natural to think from a scientific perspective I think as humans our default is to choose what's what's probably the simplest and I mean that's Occam's razor right um, the, the simplest answer used to be is the correct one but the problem is um, they they want to propose something. Usually, what they do is they try to bite off more they, they, than they can chew. And I create, learned a great line from my advisors in grad school that every young researcher or young graduate student wants to propose a study that's going to be the Mona Lisa. It's going to be groundbreaking. It's going to change everything. But what they said is each study is one brush stroke of the Mona Lisa. Your entire career is is the painting or the portrait. So I try to teach that to my to my students, and along those same lines. Um, oh, I, I got a little bit off the track here. Go back to the original question for me, quick. Yeah, the no, the original question was just related to how many people do you run into that they already have confirmation bias when they start doing the research before they start, and then they think that that's. I mean, they haven't even started, and they already know this is really how this. This approach is going to end up that's natural that that is actually the the default mode and so part of the training to be to in, in graduate school is to actively search out the dissenting voice or the, the dissenting interpretation and deal with it i mean honest debate is something i think we're kind of lacking in society right now you know i know mine you're an idiot um but that that's part of the whole training is and well, the other thing is they do is they propose you know oh I'm gonna I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna look for this positive answer, a negative answer is just as valuable. You know if you find that the the result wasn't what you expected, well what did you learn from it? You know that failure in research if if you're not if you don't find was there something about the methodology was there something about the subjects that you included was there something about the analysis that may have been a little bit off that's how we learn and that's why each research study is meant to be a, a brushstroke so when you ask that yeah everybody's like that i was like that maybe you were like that too where you had this basic bias that comes into it um and i think when you know that you're a scientist you're able to Acknowledge that bias and it, with all of your, your, your might, fight against it and try to be open-minded and accept, you know, the negative or the, and I shouldn't say the negative, different. 
accept the other side of things and try to uh, make good of what you're capable of accomplishing. Because we all know that when you start doing research, um, subjects, you know, item non-response and, or they'll answer all the questions the same, or a company who's agreed to participate now is a little bit, you know, um, more with let, less withholding. Um, and you kind of have to roll with those those issues. You got to jump those hurdles and jump through those flaming hoops. But and you take out of it what you can get. But that's the beauty of research: is that you will do better next time, or somebody else will read your paper that's supposed to be honest and open, and will try to do better. And that's how we build the knowledge base. And I, I think that's that's the way that's the way the world is. I think it's funny that you mentioned about the whole thing about a company agreeing to allow you to do research on them and then all of a sudden they'll turn around a little bit later and go, eh, I'm not sure if I really want to give you that much information on X subject matter. I kind of always chuckle looking back at that. So let me ask you, let me ask you a strange question. I'm going to ask you a strange question here. You said something a little bit earlier and I didn't jump on it right away, but I want to go back to it now. You did reference that you do not teach out of a textbook, but you do use journals in particular in, in different things to that extent. What exactly articles or journals are you currently using that, and can you talk about them? Of course. Yeah. And I mean, I, I mean, I've got my library of articles that I, I created, that I got from graduate school, that I had to consume, and I feel that they kind of um, provide the foundation to my approach to things. And my approach to things is kind of the way I teach it, um, just because I can provide personal examples and actual data research that I've done. But I'll refer to, you know, I get the weekly thing. So I'll get uh, a weekly blast from EHS Today. And I'll read through it. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's timely with what we're talking about in class. So I'll share that link with the students. Um, I'll also take things from the professional safety magazine, you know, that, oh, this is current. Um, and sometimes what we can do is I know the authors. And so we can even provide access to the authors of certain um, articles. Um, you know, funny thing, uh, I had a, uh, an insurance person doing a guest lecture on work comp and it was, it was during his lecture that I received a blast that OSHA had changed its interpretation of the drug testing. And so he had, he, and it was so strange that he had just talked about that and I go, Oh, by the way, I just got something from OSHA saying that they change it. So like in real time. Um, my students are hearing changes in how OSHA is going to approach and um, legislate, if you will, an interpretation of one of their rules. That's what my students need and not, you know, things that came prior to that went into a particular textbook. And that's just kind of the way I've, I am. Um, and also when you use a textbook for class, you probably know this, then you tend to teach to the textbook. And I just don't feel that that's beneficial to developing that that learning that I want the students that learning process that I'm really trying to develop that I talked about earlier so I need things that are changing and things that are new and also I want to in introduce them to the sources that I use um, I spend a ridiculous amount of time reading articles on LinkedIn and checking out what people are sending me through the weekly email newsletters if you will um, and I read safety and health and I read professional uh, uh, the professional safety journal and I read J shirt and I read um, safety science and all that stuff so taken all together I think I'm, I'm keeping up with a pretty good view of what's up and coming and um, again all of it all of it's good all of it provides me with some sort of insight it may take me on a 
a, a journey. And I don't know if it's a PhD. I don't know if you ever did this, but you'll read an article, but then you'll you'll you look through the references. You're like, oh, that looks interesting, and then you follow that reference, and you follow a reference, and four hours later, you're in a completely different place. But having consumed and followed that path, oh, that is such an amazing experience, and that's something that I try to encourage into my students. Take that journey, you know. Follow it. See where it goes. What did you learn? Who are the people who are the experts in a certain area? Where did they work? What's their background? And it just gives you an overall better sense of what we know, but also where it came from. And I, I think that's an invaluable exercise that everyone should go through: is to really take it all in. Where did it come from? What do we know? I think it's funny that you mentioned that because when I start looking into reference points like that, my wife asked me if I'm inside of the rabbit hole because I will end up doing exactly what you're saying, spending countless hours researching something because it was just a small reference piece inside of an article or whatever I'm actually looking at that particular point in time. So let me ask you the strange question here. You said that you do the research on the articles afterwards and do the reference piece also. Do you feel that you put a slant on your point of view of the article as you're actually teaching it to your students? I, I, when I, I'm sure I do, but I also, I have disclaimers on lecture videos that these, these are my views. <laughs> I may not agree with what the author had intended or may not agree with other faculty. Um, it, that's a very natural thing. I, I think we all do that. I, I know it's difficult to do and I try to provide sort of a, well, this is what this person says. This is what that person says. This is how I take it. Um, for example, you know, you, you talk a lot about hop and behavioral based safety. Um, and I know when you had Dr. Geller on, he had talked about that his, the foundation of some of the things he does is based off of B.F. Skinner. But, and I, and I talk about B.F. Skinner, but what I think is a, is a more realistic or pragmatic um, approach to understanding human behavior is how people make decisions. And I think that um, Adam's equity theory is a very strong foundation for why, may, why someone may choose to do something above and beyond versus accepting doing the bare, bare minimum or something malevolent due to their perception of equity. But that's just me. And so I, I try to teach as many different approaches or, 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 or uh, approaches, you know, mindsets, if you will. Um, I try not to limit it to just my own. I know I did that earlier in my career because I read the student evaluations and I think it was my first year, like this guy thinks he knows everything. And I'm like, Ooh, I got to change that right away. And so it's something I am aware of. And I try to, um, I just try to get them to appreciate this is what, this is the way I would do it. But look at, there's these other resources you can look to um, that may do it slightly different. And you know, none of us is hundred percent right. So if the listeners want to know more about you, where can they get more information about you, Todd? I don't know. I don't really have a great online presence. LinkedIn is probably where you could find me. Um, but I, you know, I'm in the process. I'm in a seven year process to develop my own website. And I do have videos on, on YouTube. You can look me up on YouTube. Um, and that's where I put my, um, lectures and other examples for my students just because it's a platform that everybody can access. I'm actually working on a new set of videos in which I demonstrate my data analysis technique for loss run data. Um, I've got a like a 20 minute video in which I provide sort of a, you know, a user's tour of the OSHA website where to find things that maybe you uh, didn't know existed. I, I'm, I'm constantly trying to just put more things out there. But Finding me on LinkedIn is probably the starting point until I get the website and 
the the YouTube channel um, better developed. Okay, so what we'll do then is we'll actually put a link on our Safety FM website to your LinkedIn, and then we'll actually throw up a couple of the, the actual videos that you have up there on YouTube. Um, that way people can actually get onto them right there. Well, Todd, I do appreciate you coming on here today on Safety FM. Thank you. This is, this is a lot of fun for me. I know that I normally don't talk at the end of the episode, but I actually challenged Dr. Todd before the episode was actually over in a sidebar conversation. And I challenged him to have that website up and running before we actually aired this episode. So if you go to ehs-essentials.com, that's ehs-essentials.com, that is Dr. Todd's website. So it's currently up and running. You can take a look at it, go buy and subscribe to the email portion that's listed right there on the website. Anyways, I was very excited to see that Dr. Todd had that up and running. Thank you for listening to this episode of Safety FM. I have been your safety manager and host, Jay Allen. I hope you're still enjoying your new year. And until next time, be safe. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. SafetyFM.com